Statistics show that over 70% of rapes are committed by someone the victim knows. Sometimes the victim has only met the rapist casually, and other times the rapist is well known to the victim, but most of these rapes occur in the victim's own home or the home of a friend or relative. And you know, nine out of 10 times, rapes are never reported. Pregnancy is always a potential result of rape, and rape can cause difficulties during and after the pregnancy with potential negative consequences for both the victim and the resulting child. No person asks for or deserves to be sexually assaulted. Today, we speak to Dina Zerlot, who is a victim of this horrific act. Thank you, Dina, so much for coming on today. Thank you for having me. Now, I just want to let you tell your story and, you know, we'll just discuss it as we go. So please tell us what happened. Okay. Um, Whenever I was 17 years old, um, a junior in high school, um, I live here in Mobile, Alabama, and uh, I had uh, a friend and he was in a few of my classes uh, throughout our high school years together. And, um, sometimes I needed tutoring in math. I just wasn't very good at it. And, uh, and he had started trying to help me. Um, and, uh, so every once in a while he would come over, uh, we would study, he would, he would help me figure out my homework. Um, and then afterward we would just kind of hang out and it wasn't anything more than that. Um, it was just someone I thought was my friend. Okay. And, um, uh uh-oh, and, um, okay. And, uh, one night, uh, he came over and, um, he kept trying to put his hand on my leg. He kept trying to come over into my space and it was, uh, and when I asked that, that he, you know, not do that anymore, that it was making me feel weird and uncomfortable and uh, he told me that he didn't want to stop. <laughs> and so at that point, I, uh, I got up. I just, I was upset. And, um, and I thought maybe if I put some distance between us, he would get the picture and he would leave me alone. I mean, guys in the past have done that before and just leave me alone when it's clear that the attention is not wanted anymore. Right. He just thought he was right. Yeah. Right. right. Yeah. And, um, and I, and I don't know, I'm, I'm, I'm a type of person who has a, I have trouble asserting myself. I have trouble, um, saying no to begin with. And so I don't like confrontation. And, um, so I just thought if I just left the situation, it would just go away. Right. <laughs> and, um, Which it should. and so I got up it should have. I mean, there were, it was definitely clear that this was not something that was wanted on, on my part. Okay. And, um, and so I went to the kitchen and, uh, um, just to pour a glass of water, get some space. And next thing I know he's behind me in the kitchen and he's pushing me down and boxing me in against the, the kitchen Island. And, uh, and I was struggling against it. And, and I was, I, I don't, I, it's hard to, I, I know that I must've been making some sort of sound because first his hand was like in my mouth and then it was on my throat and his fingers were just like digging into my neck and he told me to, to be quiet. <laughs> wow. And, and then he proceeded to just lift up by lift. I mean, not like pull down my shorts and assault me. Wow. And, um, and at a certain point I, I just, like, I just clicked out of my body. I just wasn't, it just wasn't, it was just something that was happening to my body and nothing was in my mind was just kind of watching this scene from a different point of view. And, uh, and I just fixated on this spot in the, in the kitchen on the floor and uh, until it was over and, and then it was over (laughs) and and I don't, I don't even remember him leaving. (laughs) Wow. It's just so I, I, just for myself and, and, and maybe for the listeners too, I'm, 
I, I know the listeners probably have not seen you. I've seen a picture of you, and you're a smaller girl. Was this was he bigger than you, or um, about the same size? Was he? No, he was. Um, I mean, he was. He's def. He was definitely uh, bigger than me. Um, I mean, I was an athlete. I was, you know, I was a, but I was a cheerleader, and I'm, you know, I was strong, but not strong enough to overcome a man. Yeah, somebody. I, yeah. And, and, all yeah, the time, and the whole time he's just choking you and um, he's yeah. just the whole time I have a, a hand. I think I had a hand around like my neck for the majority of it. And at some point, I think, I think he could just, he just knew that I was no longer going to scream or fight back or anything that I like that yeah, no. I was no longer within myself. And, and it sort of fell away and just to like press my head down. And, um, and it's like those little things like that, that I remember, I guess, yeah. like where, yeah. where his hands were, like where they landed yeah. and how it felt there. And, but it's hard to remember like other details, right? right. <laughs> but, uh, but I know, like, I imagine that it's just like, you're just zoned out at that point. You're just like, it's like you said, an out of body kind of experience where it's just happening yeah. to you and not yeah. mentally you're, you've checked out cause it's just too horrifying. Yeah. Yeah. Man. And I, I mean, I, I come from a past where there's been, you know, instances of, uh, you know, like sexual abuse and, and, um, you know, uh, things like that. And so it was but not- sort of a culmination, right. Of many things that sort of like led me into a place where, where maybe, you know, one person might would have continued to be able to fight back or like have a very visceral understanding of what was going on around them. It was just like I was already groomed to just vacate myself. <laughs> wow, that's so that's so sad that it's that that was where your mentality went. But I mean, you got to think for anybody, you don't you have no idea how you're going to react in that situation. No, that when you have no, you don't hands, hand around your throat and you're being forced down, and it's just right. It's- fight or, or flight and or survival and and it's all it all gets mixed up and right your body what just you, what, freezes you know what's gonna happen if you do fight back you don't kill you I mean right that's so um it's so sad it's just so sad and the audacity of that person to do that yes yes especially when it's clear that it, yeah. I mean it was clear and like I've thought a lot about it and I've focused on those moments that led to that so often I'm like was it clear was it was it was it not yeah and but it was you know it was (laughs) was definitely I know it was yeah and that should have been it I mean it should have been it it should have been it (laughs) it wasn't so when uh, he's done and then he just he just walks out and and goes and you see him at school the next I mean like what so I'm sorry here Right. Go ahead. Oh, no, it's fine. Um, I mean, after, I mean, it was, after he left, it was almost immediately, I was in a very dissociative place from myself. It was, uh, I mean, like, it's kind of wa- like watching a ghost whenever I try to replay those memories. <laughs> and um, uh, I, of course, I just immediately became extremely extremely depressed uh within I mean uh, just days I was already like contemplating a a suicide plan um I was I and I I would go to school and he would be there (laughs) and and like and he would still I think he would still try to talk to me and and I remember like I, I remember him trying to talk to me and, and, and how insane all of a sudden that I felt that maybe I just imagined this. Maybe I, I wasn't, maybe my head wasn't clear. And so I started second guessing myself Wow. <laughs> and, um, and, and then I just shut down whenever it just became too much. And it was like, I wasn't, it was no longer me. And I went through the days I smiled, I laughed, I did my homework, um, or at least I tried to. And, but this big 
thick silence had just taken up right in the center of me and it was drowning out everything all all the parts of me that were a person almost yeah. a person yeah. with a with a personality and things that were specific to me and and that was all being drained away and um and it's it's difficult to remember those months well let me um i know the been, months afterwards i'm sure we're just unbearable i mean just terrifying it's a nightmare i mean the whole thing's just the one big nightmare but it's like what like what right when it was done what did what did you think like okay i need to go to the police did you go to your mom did you tell anyone like what happened right after it happened did um he just like the thought like the thought of uh i like i it's hard i think from what i can like recall of those afterward I think he just left I could I think he just like left me there he just left me there <laughs> like I think I might have pulled up my shorts and he left me there and the thought of you know alerting my mom or who was who was right you know she was in from the kitchen her bedroom was I mean not too far down the hall so she was I mean home. far enough away that a, a racket would have had to been made for you know her but Wow, I didn't know she but was But it just house. Yeah, it just never I was just such in such a place in my head that I just remember just the that slow walk back to my room and lying down and just like not even like had to keep my hands away from my own skin because I didn't want to feel my feel any hands on me, not even my own hands. Wow. And um I don't know. It's uh, that's so sad. It's so it just. I mean, I imagine that. that yeah. <laughs> and I mean, it's you just feel so disgusted, you know, by what happened. I, yeah. I can't even. Yeah. Oh, man, I'm so. So you didn't tell your mom. Uh, were you close with your family? Did you? Was I was very close with. Safe with. I, I I was close with my mother. Um, I, I was close to my sister. Um, and I had, you know, I wasn't, I was really introverted in high school and I had a, you know, a few friends who were close to me, but, um, just whenever I think something like that happens and, and especially with me, whenever it was this culmination of a lot of, you know, trauma and it just like, and I was for, there was this constant underlying terror, I guess, right. <laughs> like always living there and, and, and made it feel like it was impossible to say anything. Right. Um, let it go away. Yeah. You just want it to stop. You just want it to go away. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and, uh, and I think at one point, um, when a, a girl that I knew we were friends, but not, you know, the best of friends. And she was talking about, this the the guy that did it and about liking him and like maybe dating him and I remember just being seized up with panic and and grabbing her hands and like please don't you you don't don't do that and uh and and I didn't tell her what had happened to me but I told her he wasn't safe and then she uh she told me she's like well I don't want to choose sides (laughs) in between me or him but you didn't and uh, you wanted to tell her what had happened yeah I had the urge to to say something to her in that moment and then and then I and then I was reminded that if if I talk about it that's how it'll that's what it'll turn into it'll turn into sides and it'll turn into you know this recrimination of me right <laughs> Right. And uh, what I did and didn't do or how I led him on and how what my body led him into. And and I just and all this shut me right back down. (laughs) It infuriates me that you even have to think, Okay, well, did I provoke it? Did I like you said, like, what did I do? I mean, just the just that the fact that you even had to be put in a situation like that just infuriates me. But then to feel like ashamed to say anything about it, because to question yourself, like you said, you were questioning if you were crazy because he's coming up in the halls trying to talk to you. I mean, just the audacity yeah. of that. Just yeah. It's just this, this gaslighting of yourself over and over again. Yeah. 
goodness gracious. So you went, so you carried yeah. on and, and, um, and you just kind of, I carried on just and through, eventually your everyday life. Right? I went exactly. I went, it very much was going through the motions. That's exactly how it felt. And I, like, I, uh, it, it, at a certain point, I thought that what I was experiencing was no longer reality. Almost. I was becoming like very heavily dissociated and I thought maybe some part of me, like I, maybe I, I wasn't alive even anymore that whatever was going on right now, wasn't reality. It was just something I was reliving because I was trapped in it. (laughs) And, uh, and then of course that made me even feel even more like suicidal. And, um, eventually that is like, whenever that kind of thought solidified into this, you know, this very complex point of view for me, uh, that's whenever my classes I began, I mean, I was a, a honor roll, a B honor roll student involved in the school activities. And then all of a sudden I'm quitting the cheerleader squad that I had devoted all throughout middle school <laughs> to doing uh, my grades. I, I started failing classes that I'd never, ever struggled in <laughs> before. Um, and, uh, and my mom, she would still come up to me and she was like, what is wrong? And she's like, what, what is going on? And, and I would, you know, make it clear that I just felt overwhelmed and stuff. But I think, you know, in, in high school, you want to give your children a little bit of privacy. And sometimes like that, even like whenever you're trying to give them that, you know, sometimes horribly, it can be covering up terrible circumstances. <laughs> and, um, but uh, yeah. eventually um, she made me go to a counselor and um and uh and they they asked me you know this is going on your mother has explained this and this what's the problem and um i didn't i couldn't tell them either i still didn't feel safe enough to tell them and um and then eventually i found a book about um healing after sexual assault we were just in Barnes and Noble. Sometimes like, I would drive there back when it was open and, uh, and just like sit there and read or just be for a couple hours. And so I got this book and cause I knew at that point I was going to die if I didn't do something. And so maybe this would help. Wow. And I covered it, it up in paper. You, know, like you said you were talking, you were thinking suicidal thoughts and all that. I can't imagine. Yes. Yes. I, I was definitely I was making a plan and everything. It was, wow. And this was just like the last ditch effort of, you know, you've got to find a way to survive this. And I think I got that book and I, I don't think I even ever made it past the first like chapter because it was so triggering for me. Right. And, um, and, uh, and so I stuffed it under my bed and uh, went about continuing to make the suicide plan. And um, one day my mother had come into the room. And I think she was just straightening up or looking for something. And she found this book. And that's whenever she called me to her and asked if I needed to talk or if there's something I need to tell her. And just, I mean, the second that somebody asked me that, the second that she asked me that, it just, I felt to pieces. (laughs) And I started telling her. Yeah. Yeah. And she was devastated, of course. Um, tell the worst possible thing to you it's um you know I can't even imagine what it would have what it was like from her point of view right she started crying too of course oh man I Uh, felt so helpless at that point because it's yeah I I know she felt helpless I know she must have felt guilty and I, I know she she blamed herself because of where it happened and all the signs afterward and you know and it's nobody's perfect. Like you can't right, <laughs> like, even yeah. if you know, I would have done something, you don't like, you don't know that. And I try to tell her, I was like, I can't, you know, you can't think like that for me. I, and I can't bear your guilt on top of my own feelings of guilt. Right. Right. It's too much. Uh, and so uh, she had taken me to the doctor um, and she was diagnosed with bipolar disorder. And she they were running tests. They were getting a full blood workup for any STIs. They were 
going to, you know, check for trauma and pregnancy. And um, the pregnancy test came back positive. And um, at, at that point, it was, uh, it was, a, I can't even wow. describe the feeling that was, that occurred at that moment whenever they told me that. Did you have any idea? Did you, and un, un, did you, you know, did, um, did you think, okay, well, I've missed my period or anything like that? Did you at that point go like, okay, what were the signs or? Right. Well, I, I definitely tried to think back to the signs, but, um, one, I was a, I was an athlete in high school. Um, I was like in really peak physical condition. Um, I was, I have like a long torso. I'm like, kind of tall for a girl I'm five seven um and uh and after after the rape and everything I had I didn't I kind of stopped eating the depression like really just drove me down and I didn't like I it was so you weren't you were like losing weight I was losing weight like throughout this period and any swell in my abdomen was could easily have been written off to being, you know, have, having stopped, you know, my regular exercise routine, and now some of the, this muscle is like, you know, just like turning fat. Muscle, yeah. Right. And um, but also with the periods, um, I I've just now, <laughs> just a couple years ago, um, been diagnosed with a thyroid condition, um, and it has, and I've never had regular cycles I will okay. go I can go like between I've went a year without a cycle before wow so, uh, but before then it was maybe I would get one every five months I might get three in one month or um wow so it was just our it was just wasn't abnormal for you to not it have one it wasn't ab- especially with the stress that I was going through right and it just didn't and there was no um, there was no, the thing that really seemed strange to me was whenever they did the ultrasound and first told me this pregnancy is eight months along already. Wow, like eight months. Felt, yeah, yeah. Wow. And I haven't felt any movement. Any, I, there's, you would expect the baby to move. Right. And the longer they looked at the, the ultrasound, um, I could see the text face start to grow concerned. Um, she stopped uh, speaking to us and stopped answering many questions. Um, she asked us if we wanted to know what the baby was, and at that point, I, I wasn't even sure if I, I didn't I didn't want to know anything at that point. But she told us it was a girl, and then she's like, "I need to call the doctor." Wait, okay, so so you've gone in, your mother's taking, so you, like, oh my goodness, I'm just thinking the, tra- like, the trauma from, now, your your mom finds out and then immediately takes you to the doctor, and then yeah. you're living with this whole other thing, you know, this yeah. birth, and then all of a sudden, yeah. your whole life just changed, flipped again, because yeah. now they're telling you that there's, there's the result of that rape is a baby, yeah. and, and you're, and it's eight months. Along, I mean, I'm just thinking how, and yeah. you didn't feel anything. I'm just thinking like I've I've had one child, and I'm just thinking like she used to kick me all the time. I mean, and right, right, and yeah. so you just Except, didn't. I mean, I've had three children. I've had, I have three babies now. All of them, I could feel all of them. Right. Um, but wow. of course, it wasn't under like the same trauma and stuff. But right. You know, still, you would think that you would feel something and I hadn't I, I don't know if I was so dissociated at that point or what right. that's what I was thinking at in that moment and then whenever she told us she needed to go speak with the doctor and that the, and brought us to a waiting room at a desk and um, we were waiting for the doctor and it's like we both knew something something wasn't right there was she had spent a lot of time scanning the head and taking measurements that something wasn't right, and wow. we knew it. Just some like sharp part of me knew it, and um, the doctor came in and sat down with us and went over, you know, the circumstances of what had happened to me, 
and she's like, okay, um, I have to tell you, um, this child has a condition we call hydranencephaly, and this is a condition that is not compatible with life. Um, it is where the, uh, the, the cerebellum and the brainstem are mostly intact, but the cerebrum, uh, where you process things like emotion, language, um, you know, just feelings, all these things that you need to relate to your world, that part is missing. It's filled where in the where the cerebrum should be. It's cerebrospinal fluid, and that this is not this child is not going to if she even lives past birth that would be uh beating some an, an, an odd right right she <laughs> just it's just like yeah. you said it's not compatible with life so you found it's out not. that you've had now you're pregnant with the baby and then within that same few minutes you find out that the baby's not going to live Wow. And of course, and I, it's a baby that you didn't ask for. I mean, you know, it was no, no, <laughs> no. My God, I've got chill bumps, Dana. Like I'm just feel like so. My, I'm, I just it's so hard for me to just wrap my head around that. I yeah, mean, and how you were like, at 17 years old. Of it, yes, yeah. and being. I mean, at that point, it, it everything just seems to be happening with the snap of a finger. It's happening. And then another thing's happening, and here's another horrible thing that's happening. And, this, and then you can look down the road and see this next train wreck coming right for you. Wow. And there's nothing to do to escape it. Yeah. And uh, that's how it felt. And, of course, immediately I I was blaming myself. I was like, I, you know, and she's like, this is why you didn't feel the baby kick and the baby move. She's like, these babies don't have the same muscle tone and mobility as your typical pregnancy and um she's like they you know she's like anything she's like the only thing you might have felt she's like would have been maybe the some braxton hicks contraction she's like but people write those off all the time as just regular cramps (laughs) or you know tummy flutters and uh from gas she's like there's just she's like you couldn't have known um and she's like and considering the circumstances she's like there's you know, you can't blame yourself for not seeking help before this. It's just, it's not your fault, but it felt so much like it was my fault that this is what I had done to her and that it was just my sickness that had made her this sick. And um, and so my mother asked if, you know, we had any options. And, um, and she said, no, you know, in Alabama, you cannot you know, seek anything that would be considered a late-term abortion at this stage, and you will see this through to the end. You don't have any other option. No, we're we're out of options. (laughs) Right. And this is happening, whether it's fair or not, whether it's going to do more damage to me or not, whether it's more merciful for the baby or not, it's happening, and there's nothing to be done for it <laughs> right. and even if we could like go out of town and um you know seek out a, a doctor who would perform you know a, an abortion at that late of a stage which is not even i mean it's it's so rare <laughs> but right. the circumstances are so tremendous because she's telling us this baby will feel nothing but pain and it's very short life that it's she's going to suffer from diabetes insipidus seizures um brittle bones um uh like just prone to to infection um blind deaf um unable to you know react and, and relate to the world because the structures there that helps you do that are missing wow. <laughs> and uh and so not only has this happened, not only, you know, has all this suffering been been brought down, it's being perpetuated at this point. Right. And it all feels like it hinges on me. 
So it's not even about, it's like at that point, it's not even about if you had the choice to abort because of your circumstance and the fact that you never asked for it and never, you're, you're forced into being pregnant in the first place by rape. And then, and then now it's, it's not even so much about if you want to or not. Now it's about showing mercy and doing, doing what you felt like was the, the right thing to do to, to, so you didn't have to bring the baby out and have them suffer. You. I, I under, yes, understand. But, yeah. Yeah, it's because uh, it's it it it, uh, it does something to you <laughs> yeah. to watch something that you love so much. Because I did love her, even as painful as her existence was for me. Sometimes it, I loved her in in a way that I don't think I can love something else. Um, and. And the grief involved in it, and it was never about whether or not I wanted her or not. It, it was always about I see her in pain, yeah. <laughs> and you watch this suffering happen every single day in front of you, and there is nothing to do about it but try and make her comfortable, and that's it. <laughs> so you had her. You went. So you went nine nine months a day. Was it premature? Like were they like let's have let's take <laughs> the baby out? I believe it was 37 weeks. I um I started my blood pressure started skyrocketing. I came down with um preeclampsia, and um at that point, you know, it was dangerous for me to um to continue, and so they induced. Mm-hmm. And uh, and at this point, I'm you know 18 years old. <laughs> my birthday was in September, and she was born October 27th. Okay. And uh, and so. I'm 18 years old, traumatized right. on a, on a in, in stirrups, having a baby. So uh, you had her naturally. Yeah. Okay. And uh, and uh, it's um, it was a lot. Yeah. <laughs> it, it was a lot. <laughs> I'm 34 years old, and it was a lot for me to have a just my normal baby. You know, that was wanted and everything. Yeah. I can imagine it being for like. It's just so heavy. And overwhelmed, and you know, this is something that, under other you know circumstances, is usually a very like joyful and happy, and you know, a, a day that's wrapped up in a lot of you know positive feelings. Yeah, love. And, and... Um, and this was just so far removed from that experience. Right. That I mean. It's, Oh, horrible it's to like, contemplate. Yeah. Oh, I imagine. I mean, I, it's hard. It's hard for me to to wrap my head around. Like I said, it's just um, it's an unbelievable circumstance you were put in. What? So when you had her, then obviously, did, at this point, does the does the boy know what's going on at all? Have you spoken to him? I, my mother and um, my stepfather. They both asked if I wanted to press charges. Um, after they found out, you know, everything that happened and everything. And, um, and at that point I was literally hanging on to my life by a thread and it was clear. And I told them, I can't, I can't do this. It was clear. I couldn't do it. I wouldn't have been able to survive it. (laughs) Um, like a trial and the accusation process. And, um, and even after she was born, I was even in an even more fragile state somehow. Oh, I imagine, um, yeah. You just it. had a baby. Your emotions yeah, are crazy. Yeah. Your hormones. And I'm already contemplating when, how am I going to, the state and the toll of this grief, how it's coming toward me and how it already exists. And it's, uh, I just, it was too much. Yeah. And oh, I mean, of, I... yeah, it was, of, you then know, you, yeah, then you have to worry about people asking, like, you know, pointing a finger at you. And I mean, just everything that comes yeah. with that, with an assault, I mean, and people yeah. judging and whatever. I, I don't blame oh, you. Yeah. I mean, I wouldn't have been able to do it either. It's like, no way do yeah. I want to go through something else. Lord, I don't I need know. nothing it was else. Just like another, at that point, it, it just felt like another thing that would have been another violation of me to relive whenever yeah. I was already reliving it every single day. <laughs> And, uh, I guess I guess my was, question though is what did he know? I mean, did he obviously? I mean, he knew. I, I guess he heard to my through. Knowledge, to my knowledge, he if he did know, I had no indication of it. Okay. Um, 
nobody said anything to me from school. I, I hid it from everybody um, the best that I could. I was reclusive afterward, and uh, I dropped out of high school um, as soon as my mother had found out that, you know, I was going to school with my rapist, and she's like, you don't have to go back another day. It's like, well, we'll do something else. You can get your GED. We can do homeschooling, whatever you want to do. Yeah. And I just couldn't even, I mean, at that point, I couldn't even concentrate on schoolwork. So um, I, I dropped out of school, 17 years old, had a plan, had a life ahead of me, things that I wanted for myself. And, and it was just, I was just letting it all go piece by piece. Right. So <laughs> and, uh, now you have a baby. No. And you yeah, ha- and now I have a baby, <laughs> and what's supposed to be, you know, my senior year, uh, looking at colleges and um, being and, a cheerleader and being happy with your friends, yeah, it's just yeah. taken from you. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. So your mom and dad they, and your stepdad, they, so you went home. You took obviously you had the baby and you went home with them. Yes. And they, I imagine, yes. was very supportive um, and helped you yes. with that. But, like, how do you care for... A, you're only a child yourself, really. Yes. And so how do you care for a baby with so many disorders? Uh, just you, explain what happened with her. Uh, I, I grew up very, very fast in yeah. those few weeks. I, I mean, I thought that I was already... had hit this spaces where, you know, all... Vestiges of childhood had been ripped away. It was gone, and, and I wasn't getting that back. And I didn't know there was any more growth I I had to do in that moment. And then all of a sudden, you know, this happens, and something is glides is like it's like depending on you to make them as comfortable as possible in what short time you have with them. And um, so we. We took her home. We just had to learn how to feed her. She didn't have the instinct to suck um, a bottle, so we uh, we we figured out how to do it by, you know, putting the the nipple in her mouth and then pressing upward on her chin to like sort of stimulate, you know, a, a sucking motion for her mm-hmm. and kind of like squeeze it down into her mouth, like she would bite down and squeeze the water. I mean, the, the uh, formula into her mouth. Right. And. Um, and I mean, it would take us a couple hours or more to feed her. You know, by the time she got done eating, and another feed hour. again. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and then one by one, every I mean, she was born blind and deaf, and um, already she was already starting to have seizures. And um, but within you know just one by one, she started coming down with all these other. Um, complications to hydranencephaly that the doctor told about. Uh, first, it was the uh, she got a kidney infection that almost killed her. The antibiotics um, almost killed her. Um, then uh, diabetes insipidus. Um, she couldn't regulate her melatonin and her sleep hormones, and so you know we'd have to. There's just there's just pills on pills that we would crush up and put into her formula, and um, or you know the, the liquid that we would squirt into her mouth with a syringe, just so that she could sleep because she her body didn't know how to tell itself to go to sleep, wow. <laughs> and um, she would have this horrible reflux, and we would sleep sitting up with her on our chest just so that uh, she wouldn't aspirate because she came up with aspiration pneumonia um, early on in her life too. Um, just one thing after the other. Hmm? Just one thing after the other and just you're constantly thing, in, the, in the hospital I take it? Constantly just going... in the hospital, yes. Like for all the major holidays we were with her in the hospital and um, and just every single time, the med, like the doctors coming around, like, do you, what do you want us to do if she if she you know declines? What uh, extraordinary measures do you want us to take? And it's uh, it's a really this really like wretched feeling. What every time you know you bring your daughter into a hospital, they're asking you, how do you want us? to let her go and and how, how do you want her to die? What do you want us to do? Because it probably is going to happen, if not this time, the next time. And it's, uh, 
you know, this constant state of fear and panic. And while trying to, like, exact some sort of modicum of control over this spiral into grief and uh, and anticipation of, you know, what she needs. And it, uh, it's, it's a lot. Yeah, it's, it's I mean, a lot. I, God, I just, like, I can't even imagine. I think that, like, before... Um, before I had my child, I just don't like now that I've had a child, it's, it's like that love that you have for this baby and then you want to do everything to protect it and that natural instinct and, um, and just not being able to, I I just couldn't imagine. Like, it makes me want to cry. Just think, just thinking that she had to go through that, thinking that the baby had to go through that. I mean, yes. And that was, I mean, that's definitely, I mean, you're focused on, of course, like your own trauma and what's happening to you and your feelings and stuff, but, but you're, you're fixated and constantly aware of her and what she needs and is she in pain or how can I reduce that pain and and is, am I hurting her when I change her diaper and, uh, it's, it's, uh, you you become trapped in, in that, that fear and in that grief and it just the time you can just feel it running away from you and you know the longer she lives the the closer you are to losing her. Yeah. <laughs> and uh Dina, what was her uh, name? Yeah. What 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 name did you give her? What was her name? Her name was Zoe Lily. Zoe Lily, I love that name. That's so pretty. <laughs> So did she, I, I know that she's passed away. How long yeah. was she with you? She was with us a year. Um, she, uh, she was with us a year. Um, not too long after her first birthday, uh, she was, you know, in, born in October 20, 27th. And um, with the year and then uh, March, the March following her first birthday is when she passed away. Um, I, uh, I, I had eventually, I had enrolled at our local college here, um, University of South Alabama, and I was trying to make it, you know, do some classes and stuff. Um, at the time, I was in uh, school for nursing because I thought, well, you know, if Zoe might need this skill set, if, if, you know, because at a certain point, when she made it to a year, that's like past the stage that a lot of children with hydranencephaly will survive. And I was like, well, maybe, you know, you start having this strange hope yeah. but you at the same time this fear that she will like right. the, the suffering will continue indefinitely yeah and um it's a it's a really it's a really strange way to think um but so I was in college for nursing and um but I was just getting my basics out of the way at the time and um we had gone to sleep and Zoe hadn't been well she had been having a lot of seizures and um, when I woke up, that my mother and I would sort of take her in shifts throughout the day and the night so that, you know, one night one of us would sleep, the other one, the other night the other one of us would sleep. <laughs> and because she was like, you know, you had to sleep in very specific positions with her. And, right. um, and you never knew if she was going to sleep or not. Right. Um, and, but you wanted to be awake in case she aspirated or anything and so you could help her. Um, but uh, I woke up that morning. And she's like, we're going to go ahead and take Zoe to the hospital. Her temperature is really high. Um, can't bring it down. And we're going to take her to the hospital. And so I'm starting to throw my clothes on. Um, but my mom told me, wait, you have midterms today. Uh, just go at an 8 o'clock class. She's like, just go and do your midterms. She's like, we probably won't even be back through, through triage by then. You know how it is when you go to the emergency room. And um, just meet us up at the hospital when you're finished. And so I, I agree. I mean, it, this was not our first. Right. You're so used to it. going. You're so used to going to <laughs> the hospital. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. We knew we had it down to a science, what time of the day to go, where it would be fastest, and what doctor's there we need to ask for. It, we, we know we know this routine by now. And so you did, I, I wasn't thinking an hour, one hour was going to make you know, this huge difference in my life. Right. The day, the morning I woke up. And um, I uh, remember sitting down after she had left and she'd been gone for a little while and I was going ahead and, and writing an email to one of my professors telling them I wouldn't be in class this evening that, you know, there was a family emergency. 
and um, so I was in the middle of writing that. I think I was I hadn't even put on my clothes for school yet. I was still like in just regular pajama pants and a t-shirt. And I get a knock at the door, and uh, and I see it's my my friend, my best friend, and eventually the man I would end up marrying, um, who who knew you know most of the details of what was going on. I was still really recalcitrant at the time to, to tell anybody the details of what had happened because I was in this constant state of fear and paranoia that somebody would know him and right. go back to him. But anyway, so he knew a lot of what was going on, one of the few people. Okay. And he came in and he's like, you need to get dressed. We need to go up to the hospital. And I was like, well, I'm, I'm going to go do my midterm first and then I'm, I'll go up there. He's like, no, we need to leave now. Your mom just called me. And, of course, at that point, I've already got that thick feeling in the pit of my stomach. And, like, I can feel just, like, that knowledge of what's being about to be told to me just kind of burning in my mind. And and then he told me that Zoe had passed away. And I just, like, I remember, I remember... This day was such, like, I don't, I wish it was less clear. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and I remember just falling down, just, just falling to the floor and just, like, just heaving these sobs and his, his, his fear. He didn't, he was, you know, of course, like, what do you do when this happens? Like, there's no, nothing you can do. And him trying to, like, you know, be there for me and pat my back. And, again, I'm just, like, fixed on this spot on the floor (laughs) where I'm trying to get out of my body because I don't want to be here for this. Yeah. And I don't want to feel this feeling. And um, eventually I, I, I get up. I get my clothes on. He drives me up there, and I remember being in the car and pressing my head against the glass and um and how sunny it was that day and getting to the hospital and going past the the room where they had her and I saw my grandfather not my grandfather my um her grandfather my stepfather mm-hmm. uh he was still holding her in one of her blankets and I just couldn't I couldn't go in I couldn't see her like that yeah. I just couldn't have that in my head at all and um and so I just went past the window and just froze just plastered myself against the wall of the hospital room and just couldn't look in I couldn't see that yeah and um where then the doctor came out and told me that they had they were they were checking her heartbeat one moment went out the room to get Tylenol for her and they came back in and they checked her heart again and she was gone just like and, that uh, just within seconds she was gone mm-hmm. and uh, they just think that her body it was just too much it just it was just too much at that point and just her heart gave out mm-hmm. <laughs> and uh Oh baby, yeah, it's uh. That's so devastating. Uh, I mean, yeah. And now you've you've have this little girl and you love her and you lose her. I mean, I just can't even imagine what it would be like to lose a child and especially yeah. a baby. You know, I yes. I'm so sorry. I'm so so sorry. That thank happened. you. Thank you. So just what do they, you know? Just these compounding things and and how they like compounding trauma just one after another and yeah. it just never seemed like it was going to stop <laughs> and all and, and really it's all in a matter of two years or so that this yeah. has all happened and then yeah and you're you're what 19 20 years old and yeah I'm, I'm 19 years at this point okay what I, I know now you said that you that your best friend was there and he was the one with you that day and then you eventually ended up marrying him. I've seen a picture of you and your husband and your children, and yes. um, and I'm so I'm so glad that you have that you found somebody that you were comfortable with and felt safe with, and that you've had you know a beauty. You have a beautiful family, and oh yes, yes. Um, so you so you 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 went on to uh, did you you know what's happened since since that? 
Um, I mean, it's definitely, uh, it's been a long road, and it's definitely not anywhere close to being finished. Right. Um, trying to recover from, you know, this, uh, this, all this, these immense things that have happened. Um, it, uh, and it's not always been, you know, a, like a straight, a narrow uproad path. <laughs> it's, uh, like I, uh, I mean, I've really just, begun addressing a lot of these feelings and a lot of that pain just in the past maybe five years or so um after my uh, my middle daughter um Ari was born I went into like a very depressive very depressive um episode and um because I had repressed so much of this trauma and, and I was at a point like in that, that undiagnosed um, thyroid disorder that I had like where like my hormones were just going crazy. I just had another baby and all these feelings were just really coming up to the surface and I couldn't like find a way to shove them back anymore. Yeah. And, um, and then I think that started a point where I started trying to contextualize them and think about them in an obvious way instead of just pushing them back and okay. trying to fight against them and then questioning, you know, why am I having, why am I depressed all the time and, and you know, why can't I bear, you know, my husband to touch me some of the times and yeah. these horrible, you know, feelings that would come up. And so um, I think mostly in the past five years I've done the majority of that work. Okay. Um, Did you have still, help or you... It. Are you going to counseling? Like, did you have help, or were you? Is this something you were able to do on your own, or did you go and seek a, help? Or? A lot of it. A lot of it. I've I've had to sort of just work through on my own. Um, I've I've been to a, um, a couple counselors before, and I uh, it it um of course with like health insurance and things like that, it can be unreliable to get good mental health care. Yeah. And here in Mobile, Alabama, there's um a dearth of uh, mental health care professionals and you especially for you know complex trauma you really need to get in with somebody who can understand that and uh, and work with you and so I had a few bad experiences with mental health professionals and that kind of you know turned you off to it yeah yeah and uh, that's when I started writing because it's the only thing that, like, it's the only thing that, like, I, I felt like I could do. And, yeah, uh, you can release it all and not have to, anybody yeah. tell you anything. you just able to just right. be, yeah. Right. And, um, and so I discovered, you know, I just started writing. And, um, and then uh, this past, you know, the past year, um, there's been a lot. The Me Too movement happened. There's been a lot of you know, discussion of, you know, sexual assault in our society and the voicelessness that surrounds it sometimes. And um, eventually, uh, and then, of course, there was a lot of, there was a lot of stuff in the media about, um, uh, especially in Alabama, yeah. <laughs> uh, about abortion and things like that. And I felt, you know, connected sort of to all of these things. And I felt like I had a, a point of view you know, that I could, you know, help bring some sort of empathy to these conversations because I was seeing so many of these conversations being had either ignorantly or with very little empathy. And um, and so that's, at that point, I um, pitched a story to uh, Huffington Post, which was my story, and they were, you know, good enough to get back with me and so that they, you know, would like to hear more of this and it went from there <laughs> and all of a sudden I was writing an essay and um wow. yeah and now you've and I know now you're like an advocate for um you know rape victims rights right and you're yes. so you felt because of everything that happened to you you felt compelled to um be kind of a voice for other women women I know you said you're like introverted and and that I know it took you a very long time to get to the point where you could talk about it, but you just seem so normal and just kind, and <laughs> you're so articulate. You know what I mean? And I'm just oh, thinking, 
I'm just thinking this, it's just, it just goes to show you, like, you never know who standing next to you on the bus or, you know, at the grocery store who, who's been through something, so. Yeah, I mean, even after I had wrote my piece and sent it out, I had a, a lot of people just from high school just to send me messages that were very kind and saying that we didn't, you know, we didn't know you were there one day and then you were gone and, you know, we didn't need to question it and, um, or, you know, it confused us, but, you know, we didn't, because I was so, you know, so quiet, I guess. Yeah. <laughs> I, uh, nobody, you know, I just didn't have, like, a whole lot of friends who would have noticed, I think, that something was wrong with me. Right. Um, or something that had happened to me. And, um, and so, I mean, that, that too, like, I, I always tell my girls that, you know, just because you're not super close to somebody, you can still notice, you know, changes in their behavior and and you just don't know you don't know what people are going to do at yeah. any given time. Reach out, yeah. Horrible things happen out here and so you've got to sometimes you've got to reach out because it's the only thing you can do. Yeah, and it could be it could I save somebody's somebody, life, yeah. Yeah. If somebody had just even if it had just been like a stranger, if somebody had come up to me and asked me, you know, what's wrong I can tell something's wrong because at a certain point like it's all like you just want to scream it out yeah <laughs> and uh but you but you like can't do it yourself you need right. somebody to help you yeah like thank god your mom found that book I mean you know yeah. you were because yeah. that, that could have exactly. been the difference for you in life and death I mean that's just yeah. And now here you are and you have this beautiful family and it's, I bet you just look back and you think, thank God, you know, you didn't go through with that and that you were able to, um, make it through such trauma and come out on the other side and, and now be a voice for other women that are going through things like this because it's just not fair. It's not fair for any woman or anybody, man, woman, anybody to go through, through what you've been through and. Um, and yeah. just, you know, I, like, I just, I appreciate you coming on the show and I, I appreciate you, you telling your story and hopefully somebody that's listening is going to, like I said earlier, one, you know, if you, ch- if you change one person, if you, um, encourage one person to go out and seek some help or, and change one life, right. like that's, that's the point, right? right. The, to speak up and tell your story. So, yeah, um, I mean, sometimes people think genuinely need to tell just their story even if they're not looking for you to directly help them in some way like to to exercise your voice in and in, in your trauma is can be like a tremendous first step yeah and uh it's you know you really start dismantling your own silence and your own own stigma you've inflicted upon yourself when you tell your story Definitely. And for you and for anybody that's listening that is a victim of sexual abuse, just like, please know that it's not your fault and you're not to blame. And, you know, and that you have survived if you're, if it's happened to you and, and you, you, then you've survived. It's in the past now. You're incredibly strong and you're not alone. There's people out there, um, that do understand and can be compassionate to your situation. And, um, and Dina, I just, I appreciate you telling your story and, and, and taking the Thank steps, you. it's it's just very strong, very brave of you to do that. And I know that it took you a long time to get there, but I appreciate it. And um, and hopefully, and I know the listeners are, are will appreciate it too. And um, everybody you're fighting for is going to appreciate it when it comes to uh, the laws and and things like right. that that you're fighting yeah. for. Tell us what um, if if anybody does you know want to reach out is is there a way that they can do that? Um, can you tell us what? <laughs> Any kind of organizations that you'd like to um, that you like to tell us about? Yeah, um, I uh, I do a lot of advocacy for um, Yellowhammer and Montgomery. Uh, they are a, a, a resource group for uh, women who um, for for reproductive rights for for women. And um, here at Mobile, I'm a big uh, supporter of the Lifelines Counseling Services, um, and who are doing amazing work in um, a town that very much needs uh, a, a bigger a bigger focus and a bigger voice for um, advocates of rape and um, rape, victims of rape and sexual assault. Okay. Um, and if anybody, you know, wants to tell me their story or or just, you know, reach out, I'm also on Twitter, Twitter <laughs> uh, at Zerlot, Z-I-R-L-O-T-T, Dina, D-I-N-A, and... Okay. Um, 
I've, I've really, like, after I wrote my essays and, and um, I got this outpouring of messages from people and I, it was really, it's always incredible to see that sort of support and solidarity and it's very humbling. Definitely, and I'm, I'm sure it, it helps you, you know, fight yes. that much harder, yes. so... Um, yeah, so y'all listen, everybody listening, if you'd like, um, like she said, it's, uh, your Twitter account is, uh, at Zerlot. Yeah, at Zerlot Dina. At Zerlot Dina, Z-I-R-L-O-T-T, and her, Dina is D-I-N-A, and, um, so, you know, definitely reach out to her there, thank her for telling her story, and, um, I'll try to leave her information for the, for her organizations that she's advocating for in the description of this podcast. Thank you all so much for listening to this episode of Victims. Dina, thank you so much for coming on and telling your story. Another incredible story today, and I hope that you all enjoyed this episode. Please know that if you or someone that you love has experienced sexual assault, there is help available to you. Please see the links in the description of this episode, and please favorite this podcast and leave a review. Make sure to tune in to episode three for another fascinating story from our next victim. Thanks.